Church, it's good to be able to worship with you today. As Matt shared with us last week, we're going to begin today in our study in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome around 61 AD. It's a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus and to other churches in the Asia Minor area. Now, one of the major themes of the book of Ephesians that we're going to see is this idea of the heavenlies or heavenly places. It's a phrase that Paul uses five times in the book of Ephesians. And what he's doing by using this phraseology is he's showing us our salvation as believers from the vantage point of the heavenly places. He's trying to give us a 50,000 feet view, a panoramic view of our salvation and redemption. And so because of that, the book of Ephesians doesn't really deal with everyday controversies. It doesn't really deal with everyday problems and issues that a church is having like we see the other epistles address. Because when you're looking at your life as a believer from the perspective of the heavenlies, when you're looking at how God has saved you and redeemed you from the eternal perspective of how God has sent his son for you to die for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins, how God has made you his child, how God has made you to know him and enjoy him forever. When you look at your life as a believer from that kind of an eternal perspective, then your everyday problem then your everyday issues, it all seems to dim and disappear. One of my favorite stories that I like to tell people about Angela and I is the story of how God brought us together. We met back, at, um, back in our college days, back at Texas A&M, and um, yes, I told the last service, I went to A&M, but I just never got into the whoop thing. I just can't do it. Can't get myself to do it. Um, and so we met at A&M when we were, we were basically best friends. I, I told her we weren't best friends because, you know, guys don't have girls as best friends. But we were best friends, and we spent nearly every day together. And out of spending all that time together, I started liking her. And so one day I sat her down, and I said, hey, I like you. You guys remember from the Dumb and Dumber movie? I like you a lot, you know? <laughs> and, and it was basically like that, because she looked at me and she said, well, I don't really like you like that. And to which I responded, well, I think you should pray about it. <laughs> it's called spiritual leadership, guys. And so, <laughs> and so she did go pray, and to my pleasant surprise, she came back and she said, yeah, I think we should date. And so that's our great story, right? No. It, it wasn't great. It was terrible. It was the worst kind of dating. Well, come to find out later, she went and prayed, and she felt like God was telling her, yes, yeah, she should date me, but she still didn't like me like that. And so in her brilliance, she thought to herself, well, I'll just kind of be mean to him and just generally be a bad girlfriend, and then he'll break up with me, and then so I don't have to feel guilty about anything. And so now, eventually, with all my mad game and skills, I did win her over. She does, she does like me like that now. Um, <laughs> but for a long time, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I like to tell people how terrible it was and how mean she was to me. And um, so when I tell this story to people, you know what she says to me every time? She says, enough for already. I married you. We're married. We have three kids now. And you know, she's exactly right. And what is she doing? 
She's pointing to the larger, grander perspective. She's pointing to the panoramic view of our relationship. That yes, if you look at our relationship from the day-to-day perspective, day-to-day level, there were some terrible days. I mean, she was mean. She was mean to me, you know? But if you step back and out and look at our relationship as a whole, then even those terrible days, it just seems to dim and disappear, and we remember it, and we even laugh at it. Why? Because we're married now and have three kids. And some of you are saying, yeah, but that's because you had a happily ever after. I don't know if there's going to be a happily ever after for me. But church, listen, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, God promises you a happily ever after an ultimate happily ever after. It may not seem like it now. Things are terrible now. It may not seem like it's going to happen for you, but that's what God promises us. Living the day-to-day life as Christians in this world, it's hard sometimes. Living the day-to-day life as Christians in this world, it's painful sometimes. Jesus said it would be. Sometimes it just feels like you're not going to make it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it just feels like you're not going to make it. But what God wants us to know through the book of Ephesians is that if we're going to be able to make it through days like that, if we're going to be able to make it through months like that and even years like that, we have to have a heavenly and eternal perspective. Like when it's all said and done and it's literally a billion years from now, Think about it. It's all said and done. We're sitting around in a big circle a billion years from now and we're with Jesus. I mean, we're really with Jesus. And we've gotten to see with our own eyes God's plan of salvation completely unfold and fulfilled. You've gotten to fully see with your own eyes how God truly does work out everything, including our most terrible days for our good and his glory. And you're sitting around in the new heaven and a new earth. I wonder what that'll look like. In the new heaven and new earth, with every tear wiped away from your eyes, no more pain, no more sorrow, Only joy, only happiness, only satisfaction on that day, a billion years from now. I wonder, how will you remember back to your most terrible day here in this life? I wonder how you will remember it. What God is saying and what God wants us to know is that there's a day coming. There's coming a day when we will remember even our most terrible day. And the pain of it will have completely dimmed. What God wants us to know is that there's coming a day when we will remember even our most terrible day. And it will have no more sting that there There is a happily ever after coming. There is a happily ever after coming. Well, how can we have that kind of a perspective? How can we have that kind of an eternal perspective, heavenly perspective? Let's read together Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there we have the familiar greeting of Paul that he gives in all of his epistles, right? It could be a sermon in itself. And then what we see next in verses 3 through 14 in your Bibles, I know it's a lot of sentences, but in the Greek it's actually one sentence. It's one long run-on sentence, as if Paul is so excited to tell you of the heavenly, eternal perspective that we ought to have as a church that he just word vomits. He just goes on and on and on and on, and he doesn't stop. 
It's an incredible, magnificent sentence. It's a sentence that we're going to be spending five weeks in. But what I want us to do today is concentrate on verse three. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul is trying to give us an eternal heavenly perspective that will help us through our everyday messiness, everyday pains and sorrows. And so what does he tell us? He tells us that we have been blessed. That's what he tells us. That you have been blessed. Blessed with what? Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Well, what does that mean? To be blessed with every spiritual blessing. It would mean that there's not a single blessing that you're missing. That out of all the spiritual blessings available and possible, church, you have them all. Every single one. And what is a spiritual blessing? Spiritual blessings are all the blessings we need in order to be saved. Spiritual blessings are all the blessings we need in order to be saved. We just went through the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, right? Spiritual blessings are all the blessings that Jesus accomplished for us and purchased for us through his perfect life lived, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead. Everything that we need in order to be saved, Jesus bought for us. He purchased for us. He accomplished for us. And Paul also says, you have all of these blessings right now. That you have all of these blessings right now. Notice it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Who has blessed us? Who has blessed us? Past tense, already done. He doesn't say God intends to bless us sometime in the future. He says he has blessed us already. It's already done. You have it all right now. Now, isn't that an incredible claim? Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I've been blessed with what? Every spiritual blessing? That there's not a single spiritual blessing that I lack? Well, I don't feel blessed like that. How many of you guys feel that? Well, I don't don't feel blessed to that kind of a level. Well, why don't we feel blessed like that? Because we're not millionaires, because there's still bills to pay, because debt seems to keep increasing, because we were sick this week and we barely got out of bed and made it to church. Maybe it's more serious than that. You've been sick and you've been sick for a while. Your family member, they've been sick and they've been sick for a while. You've been, you've been single and you're desperately lonely. You don't have any children, you're trying to get pregnant and, and you just can't seem to get pregnant. So why don't we feel blessed like that? Because we mainly have an understanding that blessings are physical. Because we mainly have an understanding that blessings are physical. But do you remember where Paul is writing this letter? Where was he? He was in prison. In prison, death seemed imminent. In prison, death looming, he writes, we have been blessed. We have been blessed. And so clearly, Paul has a different understanding of blessing than you and I today. There was a time in the history of God's people when the primary way that God expressed his blessing, it was physical. 
In the Old Testament, God's blessing was expressly largely in the material and temporal sense. In the Old Testament, the way that you would calculate a man's blessing from God was to count the number of sheep that he had, to count the number of goats that he had, look at all the cattle that he had, to, the, to look at all the extent of the land that he possessed, to number all of his children. The way that God dealt with his people in the Old Testament, in a lot of ways it was much more elementary as dealing with babies, as dealing with children, blessing them and teaching them through visible and physical things, giving them oftentimes external, obvious blessings, earthly blessings. And some of you are like, man, I wish I lived in the Old Testament. Well, do you really want some sheep and goats? (laughs) But as we enter now into the New Testament, we see that the things that God has shown us in the physical and temporal, he is now showing us in the spiritual and eternal, right? Physical pictures of things pointing to the spiritual reality of things. That was what the Old Testament was all about. Physical pictures of things pointing to the spiritual reality of things. The shifting from the physical and temporal to the spiritual and eternal, 2 Corinthians 4.18, but as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If we're going to have an eternal heavenly perspective, we have to know the difference between the physical and the spiritual, and we have to treasure the eternal over the temporal. And so spiritual blessings are better. But sometimes we don't feel that. We want our blessings to be tangible, something that we could see, touch, and and embrace, and feel. And if we're honest, many of us would even be willing to trade away and give up some of our spiritual blessings to get some physical blessings. If we're honest, we'd be willing to trade in and give up a little bit of our faith if it would mean we could get some money. Right? What has God done in your life to increase over the years your level of faith, your level of belief? What has he done? But if we're honest, we'd be willing to uh, believe a little less if it would mean we could get $100,000. If we're honest, we'd be willing to trade in a little sanctification. Uh, what has God done in your life to make you more holy and look like Jesus? It, if, if we're honest, we'd be willing to look a little less like Jesus if it would mean that we could get some health out of our sickness, some health for our loved ones. We'd be willing to trade in a little understanding of God's word. How has God trained you in being able to study and understand his word? If we're honest, we'd be willing to trade in a little bit of that, understand a little less if it would mean a spouse, if it would mean a husband or a wife, if it would mean children, if it would mean some power and prestige at work, if it would mean some physical beauty, and on and on. These valuable, precious, spiritual blessings that we desperately need and God has provided all in Jesus, we'd be willing to trade away. But spiritual blessings, they're better. They're better in countless ways. And now what I'm not saying is that physical blessings are evil. I'm just saying spiritual blessings are better. Some of you, you have this mentality that God is just out to get you, that he's just out to make your life miserable. And so you're sitting around and you're looking at your healthy kids and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, 
it just seems too good right now. Everything seems too peaceful right now. I better get ready because just around the corner, I bet God has something terrible waiting for me. God is blessing you with, with amazing physical blessings and you're, and you're not enjoying it and you're not thanking him for it because you think he's just going to do a bait and switch. Our God is good. He's a good heavenly father that knows how to give good and perfect blessings to his people, including physical blessings. And so it's okay to enjoy them. Thank God for it, but don't keep it to yourself. But don't keep it to yourself. And so if God has physically blessed you with with healthy kids and you're not taking them to the doctor every day, don't just keep that time to yourself. Don't just spend that time on yourself. Instead, use it. Use it as an opportunity to serve people with sick children. If God has blessed you with with money and, and and you're rich, don't just spend that money on yourself, getting more and more things for yourself. Use it as an opportunity to bear the burden of those who are poor. I see a room filled with people that God is giving abundant physical blessings to. What physical blessing has he given you? What comes to mind? He didn't give you that blessing just for you. Right? God says, I bless my people for the purpose of what? That they might be a blessing. God always blesses for the purpose of us being a blessing. And so whatever that physical blessing is, dare not keep it to yourself. Dare not. Find ways to be a blessing to other people and point people to Jesus. And so physical blessings are not evil, but still spiritual blessings are better. It's better in countless ways. But I want to share with you two specific ways. One absolutely amazing way that spiritual blessings are better than physical blessings is that spiritual blessings, if you have them, you can know for sure you're in Christ. Spiritual blessings, if you have them, you can know for sure you're in Christ. Many of us, we struggle with this question, man, am I saved? You guys struggle with that sometimes? God, am I, am I really saved? The presence of spiritual blessings in your life act as a constant reminder that yes, you are saved. That yes, you do belong to him. Well, why do I say that? How can I say that? Look at verse three again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in what? Who has blessed us in Christ. And so the only place these spiritual blessings can be found is in Jesus. And so the only way you and I could have spiritual blessings is if we're in Jesus. And so you look at your life, do you see the evidence of spiritual blessings in your life? As you self-examine, do you see, do you see a new heart? Do you see the spiritual blessing of a new heart? Do you see that God has replaced the heart of stone with the heart of flesh? Do you see the spiritual blessing of, of, of a softened heart? Do you see the spiritual blessing of a tender conscience? Do you see the spiritual blessing of faith, love, hope, patience? Paul will go on to list many more. Do you see the spiritual blessings like adoption, forgiveness of sins, redemption, and the Holy Spirit? These are the things that are evidences of the fact that you are in Christ, that you are saved. Spiritual blessings, if you have them, you can know for sure that you are in Christ. But can physical blessings do that? Can physical blessings do that? 
what would be your wildest dream of physical, physical blessings come true? What would be your wildest dream of physical blessings come true? Out of, out of all the physical blessings that are available and possible, if you could have any and all of them, which ones would you pick? What would your life look like? Maybe if you're a guy, your life would be like a cross between Bruce Wayne and Mr. Darcy. Bruce Wayne and Mr. Darcy. You're, you're a billionaire and you got lots of toys, and, uh, but you're also strong and, and you were trained by ninjas and so you go fight bad guys at night, but you also have a soft, tender side and so you get all the ladies. <laughs> or if you're a lady, you may want to be like a cross between Zoe Deschanel and Kristen Bell. You're cool, you're spunky, um, you have long, beautiful hair, you could pull off the hipster glasses, and, and, and everyone thinks you're beautiful, but you just think you're okay, and you could sing Love is an Open Door perfectly. <laughs> well, you may or you may not like that, I have no idea, but let's just say you had all the money in the world, money will never be an issue, money will never be a problem. Let's just say you were born beautiful and everybody liked you. Let's say you had perfect health and you never got sick. And let's say you had in your life all the physical blessings that you could ever want, ever dream of. And you died at the ripe old age of 120, but you didn't look a day over 60. <laughs> what if you lived that life? And lying in your deathbed, could you conclude, wow, look at all the ways that God has physically blessed me. I must be his. Could you conclude, of course I'm going to heaven. Look at all the ways that God has physically blessed me. Could you conclude that? No, you couldn't. Why? Because physical blessings are blessings that God gives to both believers and unbelievers alike. The Bible says God causes the sun to rise on both the wicked and the righteous. That there are plenty of millionaires in this world that when they die, they will not be with Jesus. That there are plenty of beautiful people in this world that when they die, they will not be with Jesus. That there are plenty of accomplished people, plenty of well-liked people, plenty of powerful people that when they die, they will see Jesus and he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. But if lying in your deathbed, you, you look at your life, you look at the sum of your life, and you see that it wasn't particularly filled with physical blessings. It wasn't. Uh, you were never really rich. You were never really rich, but your heart was struck by the fact that God has been so generous towards us of, of God's generosity in giving us his son, his very son. So you always found ways to be generous. You always found ways to give even when things were tight. You look back at your life and you were never really powerful. You never really accomplished anything that the world would find noteworthy. But your heart, it was so struck by the fact that Jesus, the king of the universe, the maker of everything, came into this world not to be served, but to serve. And so you always found ways to serve. You didn't push others down so you could lift yourself up. You found ways to lower yourself so you could lift others up. You look back at the sum of your life and you see that there were plenty of aches and pains in your life. But you knew by faith that even though this outer man was decaying every day, that by the work of the Holy Spirit, that your inner man was being renewed day after day. You look back at your life and you see that you lost precious things, precious things and precious people. But with each loss and sadness, 
came a peace beyond understanding, even a joy of knowing and experiencing that Jesus is better than anything that this world had to offer. Now, having lived a life like that, a life not filled with many physical blessings, but a life abundantly overflowing with spiritual blessings. Could you then conclude, I must be saved. I must belong to him. Look at all the ways that God has spiritually blessed me. I must belong to him. I must be his. He must be mine. Could you conclude that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do you see the massive difference? Do you see how much better it is? So then why is it that we so want desperately the physical blessings? Why is it that we would even trade away our spiritual blessings to get physical blessings? See, God is not holding out on you when he doesn't give you certain physical blessings. He's not holding out on you. He's given you everything. He's given you every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. Everything you needed for your eternity to be secured, to be with him forever, it's been done. You've been blessed. And so spiritual blessings are better because it gives proof to our salvation, proof to our relationship with Jesus in ways that physical blessings can't. Another reason that spiritual blessings are better than physical blessings is that spiritual blessings produce worship. It produces worship in us that physical blessings can't. Let's look at verse 3 again. In light of the fact that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, what does Paul do? What's his response? Verse 3, the first part of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he do? Blessed be. Blessed be. What's he doing? He's blessing God. He's, he's worshiping God. When Paul is looking at all of these spiritual blessings, what it does is it produces worship in his heart. Think about all the spiritual blessings that we needed for our salvation to be secured. I don't think we think about it enough. Think about everything that we needed, everything that needed to be accomplished for us so that we can be saved. Paul talks about a lot of them in verses three through four. Verse three and four, we needed the spiritual blessing of being chosen before the foundations of the world to be his. Did you know that? We needed to be chosen in that way. We needed that. We needed the spiritual blessing of being made holy and blameless. We needed to be holy and blameless. We needed that. Verse five through six, we needed the spiritual blessing of being adopted so that we could no longer be his enemies but his children. We needed to be made his children. Verse seven through 10, we needed redemption. We needed the forgiveness of our sins. We needed the blood of Jesus. And we needed to know that it's through Jesus that God is fulfilling all of his plans for our salvation. We needed that. Verses 11 through 14, we needed the spiritual blessing of the word of truth. We needed the gospel. We needed to be made to believe. We needed the Holy Spirit. We needed that. We needed all of these things to be saved. And what God is telling us is that in Christ, you have them all, every single one. And so what's your response? How do you feel? Do you feel blessed? Do you feel blessed? And what Paul is showing us is that when we truly stop to consider all the ways that we've been spiritually blessed in Christ, the only proper response is to say along with Paul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be him. 
Lord, I bless you. I praise you. I worship you and you alone. Spiritual blessings, it produce worship. But it's not always so with physical blessings, right? Because while spiritual blessings make God out to be the prize, and so we worship him, but oftentimes physical blessings have a tendency to make the physical blessing itself out to be the prize, and so we worship it and pursue it. And so spiritual blessings are better than physical blessings because it produces worship in ways that physical blessings can't. And when it comes to having an eternal heavenly perspective, worship is absolutely the key. Without worship, we will never be able to have an eternal perspective. There's nothing like worship that can give us a taste of the heavenlies, that can give us a taste of eternity. There's nothing like worship. Why? Because the heavenlies, all of eternity, that's what it's all about, worship. Worship. Us doing what we've been created to do. Worshiping God, being happy in him, being fully satisfied in him and him alone. And so Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is about a psalmist who has been captured and enslaved by the day to day. All he can see is his own suffering as he tries to live a life of obedience and worship in this world. But then he looks around at everybody else that's not worshiping. That's not trying to obey. And all he sees is their prosperity. That's all he sees. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's saying, surely God is good. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked... For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Do you feel where the psalmist is coming from here? You've been trying to obey. You've been trying to worship God, and because of that, uh, some suffering has come into your life. Some pain has come into your life. Some doing without has come into your life. But as you look around at people who, who don't give a rip about God, and all you see is all the ways that they've been abundantly physically blessed, and so you're tempted to conclude, so I must have in vain worshiped God. So I must have in vain fought against sin and temptation. So I must have in vain sought to obey him. I must have in vain. Verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. So what's he realize? He's, he's beginning to have an eternal perspective, right? He's realizing that physical blessings are only temporary, that they are fleeting and often only ends in destruction, right? You cast them down to destruction, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Verse 21. Now when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within... 
Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Now what's he doing? He's realizing all of his spiritual blessings and seeing that they are better. Being continually with God. He's saying that's better. God holding his right hand. He's saying that's better. Continually giving him guidance and counsel. He's saying it's better. So much better than any physical blessings. And do you know what that realization did? It made a once embittered heart into a worshiping heart. It made a once embittered heart into a worshiping heart. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Worshiping heart, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. Take your physical blessings. My flesh and my heart may fail. It has, right? He began to question. He began to wonder. As our hearts and flesh fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. Listen to this. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What is that? That's worship. So the psalmist, almost overcome by the day-to-day pains and worries and anxieties, he seeks refuge. How does he do that? He seeks refuge by going into God's sanctuary. And he brings to God very honestly all of his complaints. All of his worries and anxieties. And God, instead of striking him and saying, how dare you question me, what does he do? He lifts him up into the heavenlies. He lifts him up into the heavenlies and shows him all the ways that he has truly, spiritually been blessed. And so, in the end, his once embittered heart is now worshiping and he concludes this. He concludes, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. Not the nearness of wealth is my good. Not the nearness of health is my good. Not the nearness of comfort and ease is my good. Not the nearness of a husband. Not the nearness of a wife. Not the nearness of children are my good. Or not the nearness of any other physical blessings that you could think of is my good. But the nearness of God is my good. Church, do you believe that? you believe that? And if you're here and you don't believe that, you've never trusted in Jesus, what better day than today to trust in him? If you've never seen Jesus to be better and greater than anything that this world has to offer, ask God today. Ask God today to show in all the ways that Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. Now, as we enter into a time of worship, Let's ask God that he would be gracious to us like he did to the psalmist. Take us out of our day-to-day and place us in the heavenlies. And even if it's for a moment, to allow us to get a taste of the heavenlies, get, get a taste of the eternity, that he would move in our hearts, that he would produce worship in such a way that we will worship now like we will then a billion years from now. 
that we will worship now like we will then. That God will allow us to say along with the psalmist and truly mean it when we say, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Though my heart and my flesh may fail, you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Father, in so many ways, our hearts and our flesh has failed, Lord. In our day-to-day, dealing with the pains and the sorrows, Father, we question. We question your goodness. We wonder if you're holding out on us. And Lord, the amazing spiritual gifts that you've given us, we become willing to trade them away. Trade them away for fleeting things, for temporal things. So, Father, we ask that you would do the work of lifting us up now out of our day-to-day. Place us in the heavenlies. Allow us to see the sum of our life from the perspective of the eternity. Help us to see that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. in the heavenly places. And will you now birth worship in us. Birth the kind of worship that you are deserving of. In Jesus' name we pray.